two dudes, one microphone, absolutely zero calves. Welcome to Team No Calves Radio with your hosts, Ollie and Adam. Hey guys, um, so welcome to episode five of the uh, Team No Calves podcast. Um, so you are joined by myself, Adam, and I've got obviously Ollie with me here. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, good, mate, good. Yeah, so we're we're through Skype this week. Um, so we're uh, our, our diaries dictated it was better to to go through Skype this week rather than being uh, sat next to each other. So um, Ollie's got the nice, really like clear microphone. I've got some shitty headphones that I found in the back of a drawer. Um, so hopefully you can hear me as well as you can hear him. Um, so what we're going to be sort of looking into today is we're going to go into the art and science of nutrition. And the main reason we're putting an emphasis on the art uh, of nutrition is in terms of the science, um, you know, we are coaches and, and we need to have kind of a, an understanding about the principles, what's actually important. But in reality, our, our job as a coach is to, to understand the methods and then just apply them to actually individuals. And that's more of a it's more of an art than than a science. Um as I guess, like as with any kind of art, it is definitely subjective, so it's all going to be dependent upon the individual. Um, and uh, you know, I wanted to definitely look more into that rather than kind of getting a bit too delving into the science. When I think, in reality, most of us do get far too bogged down with all that. Would you agree, Oz? Yeah, definitely. And like you say, I think as coaches, it's it's really important to have a good understanding of the science. Um, and even as a consumer, if you're not a coach or if you're somebody who is trying to get in shape or if you're trying to, you know, lose fat or gain muscle, then yes, you should have a basic understanding of the fundamentals and the science. Um, but like you rightly said, people do often get kind of bogged down with the ins and outs and it becomes very confusing um, when you do go into those intricacies. And so, like you say, the art of applying that in a real life situation because we're not lab rats is far more mm. important and will yield far better results if we have a better understanding of the methods behind dieting. Yeah, and I think this is it. Like um, once we get a bit of knowledge about something, we tend to take it far too, um, far too like place too importance, too much emphasis on it, mm. and then uh, you know we're like you know if you're not a kind of sports nutritionist you know it's not things you need to understand you just need to understand the basics mm. and I think that's what we'll do is we'll start on the podcast with just talking about the basics of setting up your diet and obviously that is going to start therefore with with calorie intake so I think the biggest thing I see with people when they set a calorie intake is they just look so look far too small they yeah. look at just the calorie intake um Whereas when I'm, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm setting up a diet for someone, I'm like, how many calories do we need to take in per week? Mm. Uh, and then I just base it, you know, on a on a sort of either a seven day or a five two or a six one, whatever they think is going to be the easiest way of them to manage their diet. And in reality, if they're not hitting certain figures each day, I don't really care mm. as long as they're, they're sort of taking that calorie intake in weekly. Would you, you know, would you be a similar kind of setup? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's funny, isn't it? Because it's that whole all or nothing mentality. And if you have a very fixed mindset with your daily calorie intake and, you know, for argument's sake, it goes a bit out the window one day, you know, all is not lost, but we do kind of run into people who, you know, mess up a day, for example, and just kind of sack it in and just go balls to the walls with eating everything in sight, pizza, chocolate, just because they've, uh, actually funny story. Um, I was on comp prep and I was prepping myself. I think it was my second or first competition 
and I yeah. overate 50 grams of cottage cheese. 50 grams. <laughs> and that's like, no, well, that's like <laughs> but not to, but I lost my shit. I was like, oh, you have absolutely fucked it. And then that was my cue to then go and just eat more shit. And it's like, <laughs> mate, you know, you ha it all is not lost. <laughs> it's 50 yeah. grams of cottage cheese. But like you say, if you look at the, the, the net weekly total calories as opposed to that rigid daily intake, um, mm -hmm. it frees you up a hell of a lot more and it really does relieve a lot of pressure to be absolutely spot on every single day. Yeah, I mean, I tend to, um, I tend to base my daily calorie intake on what I've got on that day. So mm. if, I've, if I've got like um, a client in at say half five in the morning, then I've got a client that's, you know, I've got a late clients as well. I know my day is going to be pretty damn long, mm. and on that day, I know that I'm going to need more food, you know, so I'll, I'll just borrow, say, 20% of calories from a different day where I'm going to be sat doing check-ins or whatever, mm. and I think um, that's something that as you become more experienced, you can kind of, you know, start uh, manipulating for yourself. If you look at your own diets, think, when, what days am I, am I doing a lot, and what days am I not doing much, mm. and, uh, and then obviously dictate calorie accordingly, you know, calories for that day accordingly. Mm. And it doesn't even have to be a set thing, does it, Adam? As in with that kind of, like you were talking about borrowing 20% of calories, it can be a far more intuitive. You know, if you get yeah. to the end of the day and you realize that, shit, I am starving and I'm going to eat the house down, then rather yeah. than kind of throw it out the window, why don't we, like you say, borrow that 20% of the, the following day's calories and, you know, suck it up the next day because you're more than likely find that you're good to go the next day, you know? Um, so it can be far more intuitive with where we borrow and steal calories from rather than having it as a rigid plan. Yeah, we should definitely look into uh, sort of talk about intuitive eating a little bit uh, a little bit later on the podcast. So we've kind of looked into calorie intake there. So now I would kind of be uh, once I've got that all set and, and, you know, we know that in reality, the two things that kind of everything is showing now, the really only two things you need to kind of um be too concerned about is your calorie intake and then your protein intake mm -hmm. if, if kind of composition goals yeah. uh, are what you're after um, obviously a little bit different if it's for a particular sport or something but yeah if, if it's just you know fat loss or muscle gain getting protein intake next in place and um, kind of as calorie intake I've got you know I've put down a, and then sort of spoke about as weekly I think protein intake is obviously something we got to look at daily yeah. you know? so this is where we're becoming kind of much more um, you know, we've got it much more in a micro cycle kind of look, mm. how much you're taking in daily. Um, so how much would you kind of recommend really for, for your, you know, your athletes or, or your clients that you're working with, Ollie? So it kind of be, um, varying dependent on where that athlete or client is, um, within their, you know, their, their lives. So for somebody who is at maintenance or on a surplus calories, um, you know, they're not going to need as much. Um, mm -hmm. protein as they're going to need in a deficit because we're we're trying to retain as much muscle mass as possible whilst we're in a deficit and so the, the importance yeah. of protein intake is a lot higher in a deficit so i would say for at maintenance or surplus we're looking at about 1.8 to 2.3 grams of protein per kilogram mm -hmm. um, and then in a deficit we're looking at about 2.3 to 2.8 grams per kilogram uh, of body mass there um, there are some numbers for lean body mass as well, but more often than not, people don't actually know these numbers. And so that those initial numbers are just kind of um, good gauges, I guess, to work off um, as a sort of, as an outset. 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, the thing as well is uh, you've got to, you've got to look at that as well as that's ranges. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, uh, and I think you're right in that you set different different ranges between a target. I think people will think I have to have like an exact amount mm. rather than thinking you know I've just got to have enough or I can have a little bit too much. Like there's there's leeway there, isn't yeah. there? And, and, um, and that's just something while I've got you there, Adam, is that I wanted to touch on quickly and, and hopefully clear up um, is terminology and just how important terminology is. And I'm not sure if we spoke about this recently um, on one of the podcasts, but the term flexible dieting and what that actually means and how it's kind of misconstrued recently in social media. Um, if you say flexible dieting to somebody, it's eating you know, whatever you want, as long as it fits your macros. So mm -hmm. being able to eat chocolate on a diet, they would consider that flexible dieting, but it's yeah. not, that's not what flexible dieting is. And Eric Helms recently cleared this up. Um, flexible dieting is having um, plus or minus or leeway within each macronutri macronutrient target to allow the diet to be flexible as opposed to rigid. And yeah. there was studies done, I believe it was in um, Sweden, um, with the the benefits of flexible dieting against fixed dieting and you know I can't remember the numbers but the flexible um, group were far more successful because there wasn't that huge um, emphasis on being absolutely perfect every single day yeah. and so that's what flexible dieting is and that's why we have between 1.8 to 2.3 grams per kilogram and that's and that's why um, it's not such a rigid fixed number yeah, and I think that's where it realised that calorie intake is, pro you know, takes on the, the obviously by far the most importance. Is mm. you can break things about with with macro intake and move things about a little bit. And as long as you're control controlling that energy in over the course of a week or a month or whatever, um, you are going to move towards what your targets are. Yeah, um, no, that's that's good. I mean, obviously, uh, you kind of spoke about um, during maintenance or a surplus there. So, uh, and about how kind of during a deficit, it's it's important to you know to perhaps take protein intake up a little bit more. Mm. So, what figures would you be looking at in that deficit then? So, in a deficit, you're looking at sort of again not really looking at lean body mass, but just as a kind of general guideline, sort of 2.3 to 2.8 grams per kilogram. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a kind of a good number. So it's a, only a tiny bit higher than um, uh, than somebody at maintenance or in surplus. But again, it's just that the importance of retaining muscle mass whilst in that deficit is far greater. And, and I just think that, um, and actually in terms of being in a deficit, having a higher protein intake, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, will will help with things like satiety, um, mm -hmm. keeping us satisfied and full throughout the, throughout the diet. And so there's, there's benefits far and beyond um, muscle retention as well. Yeah. And so would you say um, in terms of like, you know protein like frequency and things like that um, I know we spoke about it kind of briefly in a previous podcast about trying to gain muscle and that mm. um, is there times where you think kind of nutrient timing takes a little bit more importance on with with protein intake than it does with other things yeah definitely and we spoke about this with AJ didn't we and um, it's just so much more important whilst in a deficit to to pay attention to, to nutrient timing and not only to protein but carbohydrate so fueling your workouts pre and post workout um, is going to be a far more importance when you're in a deficit than when you're in a surplus. Mm -hmm. um, when we look at the Eric Helms um, nutrition pyramid, we see that nutrient timing is at the very top, which of course indicates that it's of the least importance, well, under um, supplementation. 
Um, but you mean I need all them BCAA's, mate? What? <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, sorry, mate. You're wasting your cash. <laughs> um, but yeah, nutrient timing, especially in a deficit, and especially if you're an athlete looking to step on stage, or you're taking your body to um, really low levels of body fat, then things like nutrient timing will become of greater import importance with time. It's like a sliding scale, right? Yeah. The leaner you are, the more important that kind of menial stuff becomes. Yeah, and I think um, it's good to kind of clear that up when it was the you know, talk about sliding scale. I know we have a lot of people listening to this podcast who are, you know, looking at jumping on stage or they're prepping for shows and things like that. Um, getting in shape for shoots who are who are leaner individuals and I think that for that reason it is a good idea to kind of you know say that okay like whilst if you're um, perhaps a bit overweight and looking to lose a, a little bit of weight for going on a holiday that it's definitely not something you need to be worrying about mm. it does as you say have a sliding scale it does take on a bit greater importance as you get a, a bit leaner there doesn't it you know definitely and I would also like to just quickly um just touch on the kind of the importance and the quality of the protein that you should be consuming whilst at maintenance or surplus because mm -hmm. it's very easy to bump your protein targets up with um, as a, almost as a byproduct of eating things that are predominantly carbohydrate which aren't necessarily a great source of protein if that makes sense yeah. so you know yeah. in your maintenance or surplus phase of, of training um, you might be consuming something um, a lot more frequently like bagels and bread and stuff like that and that is going to bump your protein up but is it is it good credible protein that's going to help towards building muscle mass yeah i think actually like uh it's something that yeah you spoke about the other day and i hadn't really thought about too much before um in terms of like you know you, you start looking at your protein and when we're not because i mean we're both in surpluses at the minute mm. and uh i noticed my protein gets up you know very high very yeah. quickly yeah um and i look at my diet and i think I'm, you know i've not really eaten too many protein rich sources today mm. um and and that's the yeah something that you kind of have to look into a little bit yeah sure uh, in terms of you know a am i getting protein in from sort of decent quality sources really um yeah um so so adam i was just going to say there so we've, we've talked about the the importance obviously of calorie intake and protein intake what would you say is the, the kind of third and most important in, in terms of most importance with macronutrients there yeah so it's, it's going to be fat yeah fat intake um because it's the only other essential nutrient mm. so you know you know from a, a keto diet you don't have to have carbohydrates in the diet yeah um i know keto is a four-letter word at the minute but um it's a four-letter word anyway <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant um, yeah yeah it is a four-letter word yeah uh, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, fat intake and protein intake, you know, they're the only two macronutrients you do have to have in, in place. So it does have to be the, the sort of third thing you set after your, your calories and your protein. Mm. And I mean, the main thing is we're just looking to, to make sure we're eating enough. Um, and, and generally I'll set it around sort of 15 to 35% of someone's calorie intake. There's a huge range there. Yeah. And that range gives obviously a, a, a big kind of, um, license for personal preference yeah, you know yeah uh, obviously if you set it towards the lower end you can have a much higher carb diet and mm -hmm. that's what i follow myself mm -hmm. um but some people you know love fatty foods and so therefore they should set it higher and, and drop their carbs down mm -hmm. and uh you know both ways are gonna are gonna get them to where you know they need to be whether it's high carb or low carb yeah um, i've done both in the past and 
in reality, I just enjoy my high-carb diet a little bit more, you know? Yeah, that's great because I'm glad you said that. It's just kind of figuring it out for yourself with time and trying these things and kind of experimenting on yourself slightly and just seeing what it is that you prefer because at the end of the day, um, personal preference and adherence to a plan is going to yield the best results in terms of how long you can consistently stick to something. So it's all very well and good saying you must do this, you must do that um, with very rigid numbers. But yeah. if you can be more consistent with one over the other, then that's probably going to be the best route for you to go, regardless of whether it's optimal, quote unquote, or not. Yeah, and I think as well is like, because it's personal preference, people will generally get, their, their kind of lifestyle will dictate what they end up moving towards. So someone who's very, very active, you know, always on their feet all day, is probably generally going to be drawn to a higher carbohydrate diet just yeah. because it helps with their energy levels throughout mm -hmm. the day. Someone who's really sedentary and doesn't do very much, um, in reality, might find that they end up feeling a little bit tired, a little bit lethargic with mm. a, a higher carb intake. And, um, you know, it usually tends to set itself quite nicely just through as someone kind of lives their life, you mm. know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we've, again, we've discussed calories, protein and fat. So presumably carbohydrate, carbohydrate is just going to be the remaining calories um, presuming that we're not considering alcohol as a macronutrient that's going to be in our diet yeah exactly I mean I've, I do love considering alcohol <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah carb intake will just make up the remainder and, and to be honest there's I don't think we really even need to talk about carb intake too much I think mm. it's kind of it's overemphasized um, you know so many things kind of pit carbohydrate intake varied diets against each other and in reality it just doesn't need to be like that mm. uh, so it you know for me it's just okay that what's what's the remaining calories and and that comes from carbohydrate yeah i think i think it comes from a, a generation of people who were subjected to things like the atkins diet which was very exclusive of carbohydrate and you know a lot of people got great results following that kind of protocol but we know as a as a trained eye um that you know by removing carbohydrate they removed calories and thus yeah. yielded fat loss so um there is still um a small amount of the population who have fear for carbohydrate and we see it quite regularly with the the hundreds of online clients that we train over the year um, yeah that that ask you you know you give them their their meal guides or their macronutrient targets and they're like wow that is a lot of carbohydrate and they're quite fearful yeah. of that um, but it's definitely worth just clearing that up that carbs are not the enemy because um, there are still a few non-believers out there. Yeah, I think the thing as well is um, if someone's ever worked with a coach, uh, if they've worked with a knowledgeable coach who did keep carbs in their diet and everything like that and paid attention to that side of things, like the first thing if I'm looking to sort of drop calories out is I will look to drop from carbohydrate mm. because, you know, that is the least essential nutrient. Um I'll generally have a minimum that I want someone to be on, which, to be honest, for most people is probably quite high. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I will generally always take from that carb intake first. And I think it almost people, because they look at that from the in, you know, from the outside, may not know the reasons that I've done that before I've explained it to them. Mm. They might look at it as okay, carbs were obviously causing the you know to stop the plateau in fat loss. Mm. Uh, but in reality, I'm just looking at a way to reduce like calories, calories. That, yeah. without, I see it without getting fats too low and without 
taking protein really any any different you know mm-hmm. i think so when you've got that understanding of it it's just no that's just where it's easiest to take from yeah, when you yeah. sort of exactly cool so i think we kind of um we've covered quite a lot of the the sign the scientific aspect of nutrition and calories and all the macronutrients it's probably worth moving across now to the other side of things which is of course the art of dieting which is far more important in our minds i guess um Mm. when it comes to having a successful diet whether that's fat loss or or building muscle um so if you'd just like to touch on um some of the subjects that you can think with um the art of building or losing fat yeah and i think like we can we can kind of almost substitute the word art for the like method of using um because at the end of the day that the different kind of methods that are there is it's what people identify with but you know we've already spoken about kind of the underpinning parts of it with the science so it's like okay how do we manipulate all of that into someone's lifestyle Hmm. and how kind of adopt an approach that's going to work best for that individual i mean the first thing i'm kind of looking into as well is whenever i start working with a client i'll always get them to to go away and track for a few days with something like my fitness pal or they can do it with a pen and paper just because I want to get an idea about where they are currently at. Um, I want to know kind of meal frequency. I want to know um, kind of what foods do they habitually eat and enjoy, um, what times a day and things like that they're eating. And so that kind of the first thing I would be looking into um, talking about really is um, actually like their meal frequency. Now, not from a respect of you have to eat every three hours. I'm just looking at, okay, you know, are they managing their hunger very well mm. uh, and that's that's a big thing is it's very individual dependent if someone comes to me and says like uh i don't get hungry until 2 p.m that's fine you know mm. i'm not going to eat breakfast yeah. um because that's just that's just pointless and i think this is where it becomes very individual is you need to kind of look at okay when am i hungry throughout the day and and how can i kind of sort of alter my meal frequency throughout the day in order to sort of address that mm. um would you would you take a similar kind of approach with yeah, it definitely and it's like you say it's you're not checking things like meal frequency as a you must eat this frequently or you know you must have this many meals a day it's more of understanding where they could potentially be going wrong um and where and what they actually prefer because you know some people like to eat a lot of food less frequently and some people like to eat smaller more smaller more mm. frequent meals and so Again, it's that whole personal preference thing that takes real precedence here because that's what will dictate how successful the diet is going to be. So, yeah, I completely get on board with that. Yeah, and I think it's as well having a um, understanding the difference between like tolerable hunger and like ravenous hunger. Yeah. You know, so um, if you're going from, if you're, you know, I'd not get hungry till two, but then you get to two and you are so hungry that you kind of grab and binge on anything that's close. Mm then you're kind of not managing things appropriately, I don't think. Mm. Uh, you know, I think then you kind of like, okay, well, should, maybe I should have had a snack kind of mid-morning or whatever, just as an example. Yeah. And uh, I think that's something that people think, okay, you, know, you need to know the difference between what's a hunger that I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, it's not on my mind, um, and what's a hunger that's like, shit, I need, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I need everything. All, all of the Ben and Jerry's, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Um, and that, that comes with experience, right? I think once you've been in a fat loss phase or you've dieted for a while or you've done it on several occasions, 
you become yeah. more aware of those feelings and what to expect and what not to expect. Um, who was it? I can't remember who it was. One of my clients the other day um, messaged me and said, it feels like my insides are eating themselves. Is this normal? And <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty lean now. So that's kind of normal. I've, I've felt that a few times. But it is, yeah. it's just, it's just, com it's completely down to experience and what you, sh and knowing what you should and shouldn't expect to feel. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you told him to just go away and actually eat something. No, 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 no food. I said, you've got fat to lose, bitch. You're not eating anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, this is why you're, this is why your clients get such great results. Mate. <laughs> They're all starving to death. Such an advertisement for your business. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Email me. I'll leave the link in the <laughs> description. <laughs> But, I mean, the thing is, like you said, it does come from experience because I used to, I used to always eat, always eat my breakfast, and then I'd always have like a, a mid-morning snack at like, kind of like nine, nine or ten. Yeah. And then I realised on my last um, fat loss phase that I, I do not get, I'm not actually hungry at that time. No. So now I stave off till about twelve. Yeah. Um, you know, because in reality I'm not doing much during those times. You know, I'm not particularly worried about going catabolic or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know I'm just like I'm not hungry and so that means that lunch will be a much bigger meal yeah. than it used to previously be and I think that's where as an individual you definitely you definitely get a good lid like good lid on it yeah and, and and often you'll actually figure this stuff out in hindsight well I, I know for a fact that I did I mean when I prepped for the WBFF show in for November last year I frequently would have finished all my food by sort of four or five in the afternoon and you know that right yeah, um, yeah and I always did and I would have my breakfast upon waking so I'd have clients from about half five in the morning so I would have breakfast at about 5 a.m um, which <laughs> would typically be like 100 grams of oats with lots of fruit and nuts and so it's quite a dense meal you're, you're looking yeah. close to about a thousand calories so about a third of my intake for the day and then yeah. I will have eaten my mid-morning snack and my lunch by 11 o'clock and I would literally have you know pennies <laughs> left to eat for the rest of the day yeah. and at the time I used to really beat myself up because it was almost uncontrollable it was like mm. I couldn't stop myself and I I hated myself for finishing my food um, so early in the day and not leaving anything for the evening but in mm. hindsight the reality is is that I was hungry in the morning and not so hungry in the evening and so what I was yeah. doing was intuitive I was eating when I was hungry and not eating when I wasn't hungry. And the results would have been the same no matter what way I skinned the cat. Um, mm. So I think practice kind of does make perfect and there is no right or wrong answer, I think is the point that I'm trying to get across there. Yeah, no, exactly right. And I, I'm completely different in that I kind of, I just backload a lot of my calories. I'm yeah. not hungry in the morning, I'm just hungry in the evening. So I, I account for that, you know. And I, I think when you're, when you're trying to add on size, I think it does take a bit more importance to to be able to increase meal frequency because at the end of the day if you've got you know three and a half four thousand calories to eat three meals a day or whatever it's going to be pretty difficult to do that in mm. but like um but certainly when you're kind of just looking to to drop and your kind of calories are a, are a premium and you're trying to to drop in and lose it's like yeah like you know if you can stave off an extra hour when you're not hungry then that's great yeah so what are the what are some of the kind of tactics that you would use to make a a fat loss phase more bearable for example you know what what sort of things would you be looking at to, to make it as as easy as it can be although it will never really be easy yeah yeah i think if it was easy you'd be in trouble because you're not you doing it right 
Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, like, you, you've got some sort of safety mechanism on your body that's not working there. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talked about, like, satiety, um, and we said about, obviously, protein, and, and when you set protein intake higher during a deficit, and, you know, there is a, obviously a, a scientific reason for that in that, you know, you want to spare as much muscle tissue, but it is the most filling food. It is the most filling of the nutrients, and so, you know, if you put someone on a higher protein diet generally they're going to be feeling much more um full much more kind of satisfied uh than you know dropping out a load of a load of protein and replacing it with a load of kind of simple carbohydrate mm. uh, and so first things first is like you know protein intake is always high anyway i don't even need to think about that one um then i kind of i, I try and get them to eat a lot of um like water dense foods right so foods that absorb a lot of water mm-hmm. uh and and things like, I mean, I think the most satiating food is um, there's white potato. So I think that's the most. And then you've got apples that are up really high there. And both of them just have a really high water content. Mm. Uh, both got good fiber content as well. And, and it's just things that are going to bloat out the stomach a bit. Yeah. Uh, I you, mean, do you have any sort of recommendations for, for fiber, Adam? Or? Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is fiber intake, you can take too high. Um, and people tend to find a little bit of kind of gastric discomfort um, with that. Um, generally, I've looked to set it about 10 grams for every thousand calories that they're taking in. I mean, personally, I tend to go a little bit higher than that, mm. just, just based on my, my personal experience, and, and don't actually get any kind of um, gastric issues. But some mm. people do. But that's just a good kind of um, it's a good rule of thumb, I think, to, to kind of put on that. But um, Generally, yeah, if you're if you're in a fat loss and you're trying to emphasize higher volume, you're trying to eat a little bit more sort of veg um, just to fill you up a little bit more, your, your fiber intake probably will take care of itself anyway. Mm. Um, and then also just, just really voluminous foods. So like, you know, rice cakes are as much as a fish in a rice cake is a joke. Like yeah. decent ones, like rice krispies. Mate, my favorite uh, like high volume food at the minute is like zero percent um, yogurt, Greek fat, zero uh, percent fat Greek yogurt, mm. and like cocoa pops. Um, I might shove in like a little bit of fruit in there. Yeah. And mate, I mean that is that is filling. Like, They're I just get, like, full of air, food. right? So they, yeah. you feel like you're eating a shit yeah. load, and it's hardly any calories. It's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's kind of it's it's one of those things that I use when. I'm, I know I'm pretty much going to be feeling hungry a lot of the time mm. towards the end of a diet, but at least it gives me something in the stomach. It gives me the, the kind of the other things that you kind of don't get um, from like from, say, drinking a meal. Do you know what I mean? It's that it's yeah. that chewing. Um, it's that the smell. It's you know, what I mean, everything yeah. beforehand that kind of does actually help with hunger signals. Yeah, you know, I like I, I I saw research on like mastication or, or chewing and, and the yeah. signals that that sends um, with like, like you say, with hunger and how that can kind of mitigate those, those feelings slightly. And, and this is why I, I'm always kind of surprised when I take somebody on online or a physical client and they're quite shocked that I don't usually put a whey protein supplement in their, in their meal guides, um, uh, in particular if they're in a fat loss phase. And it just comes down to satiety. No other reason. Other than, I, mean, I mean, unless someone really likes protein shakes, mm-hmm. I generally don't put them in a meal guide. Um, 
just because, like I say, they they don't really do much for satiety. So, mm. yeah, chewing yeah. food is definitely my kind of go-to. Yeah. Do you have any um, like stupid little things? Like I've got one which is uh, I use really small cutlery. Yeah. Um, yeah. So really small bowls, and then I always eat with a little spoon, yeah. like a little spoon, and. and uh, I'm still doing it now, even in my maths phase. I was literally just about to say that. I'm eating like 120 grams of oats in the morning with this toddler's baby spoon. <laughs> just trying to make it count. And I'm like, bro, you can just eat more in a minute if you're still hungry. It's going to be fine. But... <laughs> Is it shaped like a spaceship as well? So it's, it's, got like... a, uh, it's a pink no. one with a princess at the end. Is it? Uh, well, that suits you, to be honest. <laughs> uh... Yeah, but yeah, little things like that is just, it's the look of it. It feels like, you know, it looks like you're eating more. It looks like your portion size is bigger. And those are those are stupid little things as well. Um, another thing that I tend to do is I just really make tiny little substitutions um, where it doesn't feel like I'm eating any differently. Yeah. So like swapping out like milk for almond milk. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like choosing uh, less calorie dense fruits, mm. um, choosing less calorie dense vegetable sources and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, those are uh, those are just little stupid things that I will do that in reality will help towards the end. Do you know what I mean? When mm. um, when it's a premium that I can kind of drop calories without feeling like I'm doing anything any differently. Yeah. One of my favorites at the minute with clients, which works really well, and it's like a it's a bit of a magic trick. I get a 50 calorie drop per day by swapping yeah. out a, um, a cinnamon and raisin bagel for two crumpets with, you know, keeping the jam and the peanut butter on. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the food volume goes up, but the calories go down and they're just like, wow, this is amazing. I'm, yeah, losing, yeah. I'm losing weight again. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what is it? It's uh, eat more, exercise less, yeah? Yeah, that's it. Gains. The, the body coach special. Mm. Uh, so, uh um, I mean, do you have any other things at all, like um, kind of like the, I guess like fizzy drinks or? Um... Yeah, definitely. I used to, yeah. I used to always implement the um, a liter bottle of fizzy water. So you're looking at about 15 calories per bottle, and I would walk to get it at Tesco Express yeah, yeah. from work, and so I'd, I'd already earned my fizzy water, so I didn't even track it, and um, yeah, that's really good for just bloating you out and making you feel almost like uncomfortably full like food is not of importance after consuming right. one liter of fizzy water so um yeah. that's a, that's diet hack 101 to be honest with you i really i really do um use that quite a lot if i'm in a fat loss phase thing is it, it um it gets you moving as well at the end mm. of the day doesn't it? it's it's getting those steps up and like you feel like that's your, your reward at the yeah, end of it definitely oh. yeah um, which is which is obviously a, a good one um so I guess for, you know, sort of keeping in with the R and, and things like that, like um, when sort of a client is, say, traveling um, and trying to, to stay on top of like weekly nutrition as much as possible, um, do you get them to kind of like plan around that by changing calories around at all? Um, you know, do you, do you perhaps look to implement a little bit more in the way of activity or have calorie drops from other days? You know, how would you manipulate things kind of weekly based on, on uh, kind of you know different life factors that come up yeah it, it completely depends on um the scenario in which they're traveling so if it's you know like a, a boozy lads holiday then it's obviously something that i would try to mitigate altogether but 
you know, if it's going to be like on the road, traveling for work and potentially having to eat um, out with clients, which is one that I often face, um, you know, you have to entertain clients. So people in that kind of industry where that's a common occurrence, um, yeah. I, I would usually just as a rule of thumb, um, save calories uh, leading up to that event um, mm. in smaller doses as opposed to one large chunk. So rather than saying, yeah. okay, you're on the road on Thursday, on Wednesday, I want you to save 500 calories. That's going to be quite difficult to do. So I'd rather just spread that out throughout the week. And that's where that that knowledge of um, net weekly calories and, and how important that is as opposed to daily intake, that's mm. where it becomes really quite powerful because now we can make small changes through the week leading up to an event where your client might be on the road. Um, mm -hmm. And then you've kind of created that buffer, I like to call it, for if they do have to eat out, I, look, I still get them to make sensible decisions and try and keep as close to what's normal as possible. But yeah. in the same in the same breath, it, I'm not going to lose sleep about somebody eating a steak and chips if we've if we put things in place throughout the week to keep them on track. So that's kind yeah. of how I run it. Yeah, I mean, I'm very similar in that I'll take very small amounts out of a diet sort of leading up to it and something that I've had really good success with especially people who are perhaps um, going away and, and they're going away because usually if someone's going away on holiday I'll say to them you know you can do what you want you've earned yeah. this you know yeah. I mean like at the end of the day this is a holiday but if it's someone who's got say a goal of a photo shoot or that you know they might be comp prepping and they're like no no I want you to tell me how, how can I stay on track mm. I'll always make sure there's a bit of a buffer with a bit of calorie window and oh, you should do it the same way you do with some um, some small drops in, in nutrition sort of leading up to it. But I tend to get people to, uh, first of all, make sure that if they're drinking, that uh, like drinking alcohol, um, that it's just, you know, sort of uh, spirits and calorie-free mixes. So mm -hmm. that's obviously right there, a load of calories taken out. I'll tell them to stay active. Um, so I'll keep the, get them to keep their steps up and things like that as much as possible. Um, I will uh, basically tell them to always go for the leaner protein options um, because right there, I think the thing is, is you can see you can see protein and you can mm. see carbohydrate. You really can't see fat intake. You yeah. know, yeah. that's a really hard thing because you don't know what it's been cooked in and all that. Mm. So you know, if you can go for like the grilled option and you can go for the, the the chicken breast over the chicken thigh or the yeah. drumstick, whatever little switches like that and then the next thing I just tell them to do is just to basically increase the amount of vegetables that's on their plate like the ratio of vegetable on their plate mm -hmm. and just decrease the carbohydrates so it's still the same amount of food volume yeah but yeah like right there and to be honest um you know every time I've, I kind of work with a client who's looking to do that they usually come back and I'm like oh I need to put on like a pound you know yeah. and it's away and I think things like that it's just having those little those little keys in place, you know, those little targets just mm. make things easier to manage when, uh, you know, you're in a position where you can't track, you know? Yeah, I'm actually going to, probably shouldn't, <laughs> but I'll plug 3DMJ's podcast at this point because they've done a fantastic episode on um, how to stay on track when traveling and it was a full hour-long podcast um, yeah. with all the kind of tactics that they implement with themselves and their clients and their athletes um, if, you're, if you're traveling for long periods of time and there was some really cool ideas in there, uh, things that I hadn't really considered. So um, that's definitely well worth a listen. So that's the free DMJ podcast and it's um, staying on track while traveling or something like that. You'll, it will yeah. jump out. Yeah. 
Sorry, mate. We'll ask for Barstool royalties next time we speak to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I'm skyping with Jeff in a couple of weeks, so. Ah, okay, sweet. I'll let him know. Uh, yeah. Uh, so um, we've covered obviously like traveling there and things like that. Um, we kind of touched briefly on alcohol there. Mm. Uh, so do you have any kind of rules around um, alcohol and, and in your own diet as well? So when you're in a fat loss phase yourself, mm. um, when it comes to alcohol intake, you know what, what kind of approaches do you use? How, how do you vary this? Yeah, so me personally, um, and I'm a bit bro in that respect, but if I'm in a fat loss phase for whatever reason, unless it's something like, and do you know what? I've never actually been in a fat loss phase just for a photo shoot, so I couldn't say that I wouldn't do this. But yeah. I've been in fat loss phases for competitions and then done photo shoots around that time. But I, I just I do steer clear of alcohol. But I understand that you know it's important to a lot of people, and socialising takes precedence over losing body fat, and that's completely understandable. And much like yourself, I imagine I I never really. Um, completely throw it out the window um, unless it's a comp prep client I definitely would try and um, talk somebody around to say and I've never been in that situation where a comp prep client has said look I want to go for a couple of drinks I would just say you know you're preparing for a competition it's a very short period of time let's just do what we need to do but you know for general fat loss or for a photo shoot prep if there was a scenario where you needed to drink I would just say no more than 15% um, of your total calories to come from alcohol okay. which it isn't a great amount but it's enough to go out and be social and not look like that melt in the corner of the room who, who doesn't drink yeah. because bro so yeah, yeah. That, that's well, just that's, the thing is like you said there it's not a huge amount of calories but in the day if you're say a male on two and a half thousand calories a day mm. um that's 375 calories do you know what i mean that that yeah. is actually you can get a decent amount of gin in. There's a couple that. amount of yeah, there's a couple of gins and slimline tonics. Definitely, there's a good three or four in there. I would say. Uh, yeah, at least yeah, yeah. yeah. You probably get five or six in there, but like, yeah. uh, you know, that's it's giving someone enough of a window in that you yeah, like you say, you don't need to be that melt in the corner. Yeah, uh, nursing their diet coke, you know. Mm. And I think that's it. There's nothing especially kind of fattening about no consumed from alcohol. It's generally just the the knock-on effect of go out on a night on the on the piss and it's really easy to cram back loads and then just fly off diet, it, not it, train the next day. And it's the inhibition thing. That's where my fear comes from for for clients. It's like you consume alcohol and your inhibitions are pretty much out the window, especially if you drink excessively. And that's where it's the whole fuck it mentality and just kebab and burger. Yeah. And especially if you've been dieting for a while. You're going to be far more inclined after a couple of drinks to just go absolutely ape shit on all the all the junk food. So, oh uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is it as well. Is like, uh, I mean, I've personally done that. You know, mm. I've I've done um, because I mean, uh, as you've kind of mentioned, you've done fat loss phases usually always for a comp. Yeah, um, I've done a several um, obviously for comp, but also several for photo shoots. Mm. And, Certainly, my approach when it was to do with like a photo shoot was slightly different. I'd keep the alcohol in a little bit more, maybe just take it out sort of four to five weeks pr like prior yeah. to the event. Um, but uh, but certainly, you know, when I first started doing it, there was ah, oh, I can go out on a you know, I mean, on the piss tonight, and I can get away with it. But mm. in reality, I'd set myself back three or four weeks, you know, and um, and so yeah, it's I think when you're drinking and it's part of your diet, I think a good idea is to to keep tracking those calories, you yeah. know, to make sure that it's fitting in with 
calorie intake rather than just an add-on to mm. that you have with later on yeah i feel like we've just given all of our clients uh free reign to just get on the piss. <laughs> uh, yeah this is this is for the for the general public this is not for our clients no so. our clients just ignore everything that was just said <laughs> um so i mean we've spoken about a few sort of different things there um i mean let's let's sort of talk about actual diets themselves and diets i guess that were are kind of packaged as um like almost like a product do you know what mm, i mean mm. so, so they're like a brand yeah. so you've got like um you know if it fits your macros then you've got things like um uh, like keto um yeah. you've got sort of about the atkins and stuff like that um kind of i guess you know whilst thinking about all the things we talked about at the start there's this whole science based you know part of that mm. um is there ever a time where you say, okay, there's a method that will work for you better than, say, something else? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, it's very individualized and down to personal preference. So um, we as coaches in particular need to be very broad-minded. So if we're very fixed in the way that we like to do things and if we're married yes. into an idea, we're incredibly limited on who we can help. So we need to understand all these different methods and these approaches to dieting and we need to understand what might benefit one person what might benefit another and and what's going to work best for somebody and then potentially show a client in that direction um, but as a consumer and as somebody who's not as well versed in this area it can be very confusing because like you say these things are often packaged up as a product they're almost like an ideology or they're the, yeah. the, they're the golden nugget it's the way that if you do this this is going to work if you do keto that is going to be your secret to fat loss and it just simply isn't true we're so more concerned with the principles than we are the methods and we say that so often don't we but yeah it's the it's the underlying uh, mechanisms that that are happening that's getting the results it's not the way that we do it um but your question to answer your question of um, are there scenarios where I would point people in different direction? Yeah, certainly. And like the the most common one that I can think of is um, Guy, who is on our Build with Brown Condition with Carson program. Mm -hmm. He pretty much intuitively follows um, intermittent fasting. Yeah. So you know people are using this frequently because they believe that it's going to yield quicker or better fat loss yeah yeah but it's a personal preference thing you know it's similar to you in that he's not hungry in the morning and so he starts eating from 12 sometimes 2 in the afternoon um, but you know there's just so many different things out there that you can do um, so many different things and I don't know how much you want to delve into the different options that are out there or yeah I mean I think the thing is is uh, a lot of people know the, the different kind of methods because at some point someone's come to you and probably said this diet is the best one. Mm -hmm. It works wonders for me. And then you've probably tried it and it's not really worked. Yeah. And you've gone, well, that diet's obviously shit then. You know, yeah. not, not looking into, okay, actually, was it just not suitable for my lifestyle, for my preferences? And I, um, I mean, one thing I, look, I sort of talked about this morning um, on, I saw, I saw a really good infographic on intuitive eating. Um, mm -hmm. So I shared it. And, um, and that's something that I know a lot of people really want to get themselves to a, a position of actually not being able to to worry about calories. Mm. And I don't think it's ever a position that has, you know, can happen in terms of I, I'm not worried about calories. If you're looking to keep uh, control of your weight, do yeah. you know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you're actively looking to do something with your weight, you kind of need to have an idea about calorie intake. Mm-hmm. But obviously, some people don't ever want to be, you know, some people don't want to be tracking their whole life, which yeah. is uncomfortable. And I think this is where intuitive eating does take on a kind of a, a greater, you know, it, it's something to have in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. And it's something that to really, in reality, everyone should be kind of working towards, even if you never get it there. Mm-hmm. It should be the end goal. Um, especially if you're just looking to kind of maintain your weight. And with intuitive eating, you know, you're you're not tracking anything. You're eating based on hunger signals, which means that first of all, you need to understand, like I said earlier, when you're tolerably hungry and when you're like ravenously hungry, Mm. you need to have enough nutritional knowledge that you have an awareness of how many calories are in different foods. Um, You need to be able to kind of make good nutrition choices. Like, you know, I know that, Okay, donut is really good, but in reality, maybe I should just have this. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. this Owen chicken meal or something yeah. like that. Like you're not someone who is completely emotionally attached to yeah. cravings. In some um, in some respects, you know, although intuitive eating can kind of quote unquote set you free and give you this really empowering feeling of not having to track and just being so much more in tune with your body and your hunger signals. But in some respects, by tracking, you you do almost get a bit more freedom because mm. all of a sudden you understand that you know if I do eat this donut, actually I can make this kind of work. It, yes, it's not something that you should be doing regular on a regular basis, but you have the power to know exactly where you stand with your your macronutrient and your calorie intake for that day or for that week, and so you can make those things work. Whereas I feel with with intuitive eating you're going to be far more let down the over cautious if you're going to do it properly if you're going to maintain body weight i mean it, I, I know it has it can be done like take ruben for example when he first came to the gym like he was considering stepping on stage and he he asked for some help and i was like so what what are your macros at the minute what are you currently consuming and he's like I don't know. I don't use my fitness pal. And I was just like blown away because he's like jacked and shredded. And I was like, wow, yeah, yeah, this is the goal right here. But so it's, it's certainly doable, but, um, I, I like the freedom that tracking food gives me because it, it puts my mind at ease. I know I'm on, on track with my goals and I know that I can still enjoy myself. Yeah. I think it's a bit of an oxymoron that like tracking can give you more freedom, but I think it's a really, um, I think it's a really true, kind of mm. you know saying i think that at the end of the day you you do have to place an emphasis on you know brackets clean eating yeah and you're um when you're having to eat intuitively because it's very very hard to over consume on really really clean nutrient mm. dense foods um you know and that's why clean eating you know when people go mental with it it, it does work mm. because you stay intuitive but it yeah. does mean that all of a sudden, treats and things like that are going to be very limited in your diet. Yeah. So your enjoyment of your diet may take on a, you know, it might be much lower than it would be if you were, say, tracking. Mm. But, uh, you know, also you kind of, you're going to lead yourself to that restriction mentality of, okay, I only have to eat these things. You know, I can only eat these things. I can't eat that because it will, you know, bump calorie intake mm. up too high. And, and you kind of end up in a, I guess, in a bit of a dark hole with that. Yeah, definitely. I think a nice way to do it, you know, is in particular if you're in a gaining phase or a maintenance phase, is to just track protein and body weight, and then yeah. just kind of 
it frees you up a bit more. So, you know, yeah. if, you, if you're keeping an eye on your protein intake and you're tracking those foods and making sure that you're hitting your, your minimum requirements with protein and then you're just looking at the scales to see that you're not gaining excessive weight or losing excessive weight, then that's a pretty free kind of fairy way of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, to be honest, I mean, it's, it's a whole empathy thing, isn't it? And I guess it comes down to the individual, but I just... I mean, I don't personally see tracking as like this laborious chore that is that I just can't see myself doing for years to come because it's just not difficult, you know. And we live in such a day and age where we just want everything to be so easy and systemized, but you know, it's it's really not difficult to use, especially with the use of things like my fitness pal. Now it's it's so easy to to track. I don't see it as a chore, but that's just me personally. So I do kind of empathize and I kind of understand where, why people would want to get on board with intuitive eating. But, you know, if it doesn't work for you, it's not the end of the world. Just start using my fitness power again. Yeah, I think that's it. You've got to find methods that work for you. And this is why we were saying about different methods working for different people. Like um, I spent uh, kind of, how long was it, about five months um, in 2004. 15 intuitive eating and mm. um, my weight changed by 0.1 of a pound so yeah. i did weigh myself before uh, like any time during that five month period that's awesome i had a record before and it was actually just through like uh, I'd, I'd just done a really kind of restrictive meal plan then i spent a few weeks uh not a few weeks a few months tracking and was like oh my god if it fits your macros like whoa <laughs> and then literally like just was making the most horrendous nutrition choices yeah. and then playing about with things too much that I put on a load of weight. And then I thought, okay, what I'm going to try and do is just actually like eat like a sensible person for five months, you know, see what I can do. And I didn't gain any weight whatsoever, but it had taken me five years of learning about nutrition and, and kind of adopting different things to my, to my lifestyle to be able to get to that point. Yeah. And um, I think that's why having having someone who's never done anything before and go, well, let's, let's try tracking for a little bit and have them come back to you and go, oh my God, I had, I had no idea how many, how many calories, yeah. you know, where it's, I think calorie awareness is the big thing who people, when people mm. with, with losing, um, that's the big thing that, you know, really opens their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's that eureka moment. I actually had it recently with one of my clients, Graham, but it was on the other side of things because he, he, you know, he wants to gain a bit of, body weight he wants to gain some muscle and so we're putting him um, just above maintenance calories and he wasn't tracking and he's not following any meal guides or anything like that and so it's like right this is how we use my fitness power i just want to do this yada 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 and he literally yep. came back to me the next day and he was like i you know i input a normal days kind of eating for me and i was so under on my calories i had no idea that i was eating hardly any calories and it's like it works both ways but like you say unless you've you've done that and you've had that experience in tracking and you have that calorie awareness then you're just going to be kind of oblivious to what it is that you're doing so i think intuitive eating is definitely something that is an, an advanced way of um staying on top of your nutrition it's not something that you can just adopt right off the bat you have to be very aware of you know what what foods are full of what macronutrients and what kind of calorie content before you can make that transition yeah, that's it. I think um, it's going to be as well based upon like what you're looking to do with your physique and, and where you are with it. Mm -hmm. Like if I've got someone who's 
12% body fat and they want to get to 8% body fat, intuitive eating is going to be impossible to coach mm. you know, because it's just not measurable. That's right. Uh, whereas if I've got someone who's, say, 250 pounds and they want to get to 230 pounds, mm. I, can, I, can, I can send them away and be like, okay, let's try this for a little bit. Let's, let's get your protein targets there mm. and then let's you know, see what's happening on the scales. And if they're willing to be patient with it, then yeah, they can probably learn intuitive eating by building up their nutritional knowledge. Mm. But in reality, they're going to get a much quicker result and probably even learn quicker yeah. by tracking for a few weeks. You know? Yeah, definitely. And that's probably a good way to do it, you know, because it's like that almost seamless transition into tracking. Because sometimes you throw people in the deep end and you give them this, which at first is admittedly a bit of a nuisance. Um, you, you throw that on their lap and say, right, you've got to input everything on that fucker and you've got to weigh this and you've got to do that and they're just like oh i cannot be asked with this so yeah like you say that kind of that subject that you spoke of that's perhaps 250 pounds that needs to lose 30 pounds will be better off starting off with something like tracking protein and body weight and then just easing them in it's like bum sex you know you've got to kind of just <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you managed to like get that one in there. But... Well, I just I said it aloud and I thought easing it in. Yeah. You said, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, oh well, I don't I don't want to finish on that note now. <laughs> oh man, we should definitely finish on bum sex. Yeah. All yeah, right. we should finish every podcast with bum sex, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay. So that's our soundbite right there. Yeah, brilliant. I'll make a little um like a Instagram square. That will okay. be the quote from episode five. Sweet. Okay, I, I, I can see a whole new uh, breed of listeners coming in. Yeah, I think we need to change the um, the listing in which what category our podcast is listed. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, uh, do you have anything else at all apart from that um, that you wanted to kind of talk about with it today? I mean, we've looked, um, you know, we started off with the kind of the principles, the fundamentals, and then moved much more into the the individual um, variances, I guess, with with nutrition and getting it in place. Um, there's nothing else at all more I kind of want to add no, on it. I, I, I think we pretty much covered quite a lot there to do with, you know, like you say, the science and the, the practicalities of of dieting. I think that was pretty good. Cool. Um, well, if anyone has any questions or anything at all um, that they wish to, I guess, send in, um, then please do it on uh, the actual Instagram post that we'll be putting up. Um, when the, the podcast goes live and um, we'll get those in next week um, but that's everything from me so thank you very much for listening everyone um, cheers Ollie cheers mate thanks for listening to Team No Cavs Radio remember plantar flexion dorsiflexion progressive overload and boom anything is possible 